Uh, let me ask you uh, this. What are your greatest dreams? I mean, get that, get that thought in your mind. If you, if you could have this one thing happen in your life, what would it be? Um, I mean, doesn't everybody have some dreams, right? You know, and uh, your dreams do kind of change as you go through life. I remember when I was four, I wanted to be a garbage man. <laughs> I did. I mean, I would, I would sit out there on the driveway knowing it was garbage day and they were going to come by and they would, I don't know why, they took a special interest in this freckle-faced little kid, okay? And they would talk to me. I thought, how cool you go from house to house talking to little kids. That'd be great, right? I just couldn't believe a better job existed. And then I got to junior high and I was uh, on the basketball team. I thought, I want to be an NBA pro basketball player. Why are you laughing at that? Man. I mean, I was five foot two. Yeah, then in college, uh, I got into music, and I thought, oh, I just want to be a, I hope I can be a famous singer someday, and then, uh, why is that funny? <laughs> if you're visiting with us, please uh, don't, never mind, okay. Uh, then when you get to be adulthood, okay, you want to win the lottery, right? Everybody has, do you have that secret dream? No, no, absolutely not, not me. But then when you get to a certain age, you start dreaming about retirement. Because retirement is always the best life ever, right? Always golf. No problems ever, right? We're in this message series. We're at the very end of it today. How did I get here? Today, we're looking at the last one on the list, emptiness. These seven things that we've looked at over the last seven weeks of just things that happen in people's lives that kind of encroach. And one day, we just wake up and go, how did I get here? How come I'm so compromised or I'm so cynical or I'm so burned out or prideful or today, empty? Let me ask you this question. What if all your dreams came true? What if all your dreams came true? I mean, go there with me, if you will. What would life be like if uh, you had more money than you could spend? <laughs> You'd like it, wouldn't you? You had more power than you could wield. You had kids. Everybody's wanted their kids to be like your kids. <laughs> You'd achieved every possible vocational success there was. Every goal realized. How would you feel? Wouldn't that be great? Some of you are going, well, I'd like to give it a try. <laughs> I'd like to see. Well, I'm here to tell you there was a man like that once. He was, uh, he was able to reach the top of everything. He had more money. He had more power. He had more wisdom. He had more women than anybody ever. And his name is Solomon. And when he was on the top of everything, he was it in the world. He wrote this, everything is meaningless. 
completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, <laughs> then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south, it blows north, and round and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome, beyond description. I don't know about you, but I think Solomon's kind of a Debbie Downer here, don't you think? You know what I mean? Come on. But this book of Ecclesiastes, folks, it's a powerful book. Powerful because it shows what chasing the dreams of the world get you. From the guy who ought to know. Think of this, we are all born empty and spend our lives seeking fulfillment. Isn't that true? We are all born looking for something. You see, Solomon wasn't only rich, he was smart. How many of you uh, would like to be, no matter what room you walked in, you were the smartest person in the room? I mean, some of you are going, man, that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> I want to be the smartest one in the room. Let me ask you this. Do, you think, do, do people think today that uh, fulfillment in life can be had if they get themselves a good education? Perhaps that's a road, a path for me to get meaning in my life. Now, I'm not saying getting an education is not a good thing. It is a good thing. But is it the road that leads to fulfillment? Again, Solomon. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I'm the smartest man alive is basically what he's saying. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. I want to learn even how the fools look, live. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. And if you read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, this is, this is Solomon journaling his pursuit, really, of the meaning of life. Fulfillment. He, he, he looks at uh, wisdom and uh, money, and they weren't providing it. So if you can't be the smartest person, and, uh, or you are the smartest person, and you're still unfulfilled, or you have more money than you know how to spend, and you're still not fulfilled, where else do people turn? Let's just have a good time, right? Let's just have fun. How many people today in the world, present company accepted, people outside of this room right now, um, think that fun is the answer to happiness? Solomon writes this, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Good things is in quotes. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? You'll love this. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. Well, of course you did, <laughs> right? 
And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness, even though I was wise, I'm here drunk, and I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Carrie Newhoff uh, writes, partying is a great way to self-medicate. It effectively masks the dull ache. Gather some friends, crank the tunes, crack open a bottle, light up whatever you're lighting up. As soon as you forget, and soon you will forget your troubles. He says, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it happens millions of times every weekend because, and listen, because people don't know what else to do. I'm empty. I'm in pain. I'm hurting. I'm confused. Have a drink. Solomon says in the passage that... um, this is the only happiness that a lot of people ever get to, this, this weekend buzz, if you will. I think that a lot of people, and I've had this conversation with many people, I think that a lot of people get some point in their life and they, 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 they wake up one morning after trying this and trying that and trying this and trying that and they say, they make this conclusion, I have decided this is as good as it's going to be. This disappointment, this discouragement, this lack, this whatever. It's been with me all these years. I'm going to just decide this is as good as it gets. C.S. Lewis says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Amen. Amen. What is it that will satisfy the soul hunger that we all have? We're all born with it. We've all tried different ways in which to feed it and make it satisfied. And to answer that, I want to look at a passage of Scripture from the life of Jesus. It's found over in John, the seventh chapter. But before we look at John 7, you have to really understand the context to get the full impact of what is going on in John 7, because Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, and this is the Feast of Sukkot. And um, you need to understand a little bit about the feast in order to understand John 7. Uh, The Jewish feasts, there are seven of them, seven annual major feasts, and uh, they deal with the life and the person of Jesus Christ, and they're prophetic in nature. We know in the spring feast that Jesus died on the feast of Passover, on the very day. He was in in the tomb for the feast of unleavened bread. We know that He rose from the dead on the feast of first fruits. We know that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the feast of Pentecost. And those are the spring feasts. The fall feasts deal with the second coming of Jesus. We have Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. There will be a trumpet that sounds the arrival. We have the Feast of Yom Kippur, which is the Feast of Atonement. 
which is where Jesus makes this a final atonement, the sacrifice of all here, the, real, the realization of our ultimate redemption in Christ. And then there is this final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, or tenting, or being with is what it means, Sukkot. And it's this time where Jesus comes and He sets up His reign, and there is this reigning upon the earth, this presence of God among us. And it's eight days long. And the eighth day, the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, is the biggest party on the Jewish calendar. It is where there is such celebration and such joy. The eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles is pointing to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, where we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I say, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. That's the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. John 7, the most glorious day of the Jewish calendar, the most glorious place, the temple. And Jesus stands in the crowd and He connects Himself to that great (laughs) coming kingdom. And he prophetically speaks on this particular day, in this particular place, these words, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. And the meaning of cried is to, sometimes it's translated scream. Everybody get this. If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I mean, understanding the whole context, it almost makes, it just shivers up my spine. It's like this. I'm getting this. He is saying To the Jewish people, he's saying to you and to me, this is the answer. This is the meaning of life. This is the satisfaction we all crave. Come, anyone who's thirsty and drink. It's the heart of the gospel. We have found it. We have found it. The search is over. (laughs) Jesus, this flowing river, this constancy, this more and more as it comes of living water. Every day, the abiding presence of Jesus fills 
the void of which I was born. Nothing else will do. Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean really thirsty. You know, probably probably not to the point where you're about to die, but I mean as thirsty as you can possibly be. And somebody comes to you and goes, man, you're thirsty, aren't you? And you go, yeah, I'm really thirsty. And somebody hands you a Diet Coke. I mean, I don't like Diet Coke when I'm not thirsty, right? Or a cup of coffee. You're thirsty here. What is it that you want when you're really, really thirsty? Just water. I mean, nothing else is going to work, and spiritually it's the same way. And so many people out there are so thirsty spiritually, and they're drinking from the wrong cup. More success, that'll do it. More pleasure, I need more entertainment, I need more vacations, I need more fun in my life. More money always answers every problem. More power, more sex, more ministry. I keep drinking and I'm still so what? Thirsty. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, human history is the long terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. And I hope every one of us, before we leave this place, believe that. There is no happiness, peace, meaning apart from Him. It doesn't exist. But you know, you know what I find so widespread today? Christians who, they don't, <laughs> they don't realize the beauty that lives within them. They don't realize the fullness of the abiding presence of Jesus and they get duped into believing that they need something in addition. Jesus is kind of like, he's the one that answers what happens when I die in my life. I need Jesus because I want to go to heaven, don't want to go to the other place, got to have Jesus. But then I've got to have I gotta have Jesus, but I also gotta have what he has, right? And I, I gotta fit into the culture, so I need this and this and this, and I gotta have perfect kids, and I gotta have. I I I I see, and you do too, Christians all the time with so much heartache and frustration and fear and anger and apathy and this is God, come on, you gotta come through for me. But you have me. I know, I know I got you. I know I have you. Come on, God, I got to have... 
I love this quote from Michael Wells, and um, I hope you'll bear with me. It's a bit long. I just, I said, I'm going to trim this down and cut this out and cut this. I can't. I can't. So hang with me. If you were God, what would you do to divide soul and spirit to drive the believer to discover all the riches of Christ that dwells within them? For if the believer can discover that true life is within, then nothing outside or of apart from him would be able to destroy him. So he gives the process. He says, if I were God, first I would make all knowledge fail. Right? I would make all emotions sink and lose their attractiveness. Second, I would allow the will of man to disappoint him. Yay, God. As it loses control in certain areas of life. And finally, I would cause both the world and all the people in whom the believer trusts to fall short of meeting his deepest needs. Amen. He goes on, this is the dark wedge, the sword that God drives between soul and spirit. He quotes Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He says the word of God in this passage is naturally and inescapably referring to Jesus, who very personally does the work of dividing And this dividing experience is considered the most difficult of all. Then I underline this. Many of us become frantic, worried, confused, angry, despairing, and bitter as we clamor for the return of happiness in the comfort of our flesh. However, we should be encouraged, for in this experience we grow in faith and become men and women of conviction. We learn that nothing outside the Spirit can ultimately destroy us. We discover our freedom. We learn how dependent but sufficient we are in Him. And when the process is complete, we enter into ultimate productivity. We possess nothing outside the Spirit, and nothing possesses us. Amen. We enter into true humility, and nothing outside the Spirit can hinder us. Are you there? God has made it. No, change that. God has set you up. (laughs) Amen? God has set us up. That we're always going to be disappointed in everything except him. He has purposefully made the earth not able to satisfy the void in our life. If we can try it, we can run down this street and end in a cul-de-sac. We back out, we go down this street, end in a cul-de-sac. Back out, come down this street, end in a cul-de-sac. We try this for meaning, we try this for meaning, we try this for meaning... And at some point, we get to this point where we agree with Solomon, everything is meaningless because I'm still thirsty. I mean, it's, it's so clear, and yet I, 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 I talk to people in their 60s, 70s, even 80s, still wanting God to come through for them. 
What about me? Christians caught in the what about me syndrome. Why can't I have a better, more meaningful life? Why does everybody treat me the way they treat me? And they're, they're Christians, but somehow they've bought into this false assumption that God is, that Jesus isn't enough. And I need this worldly situation to work out or I'm not, my life is just, and they never look beyond themselves. And they're continually unhappy. I'm going to say this in all love. Get over yourself. Right? Get over yourself. Look to Jesus. Find meaning. Live again. Live again. You may be here today and you got all these situations in your life and... Uh, it's not happening right over here. It's not happening right over here. Maybe family or relationships or job. And you're hurt, and God, God today is saying to you, well, just, would you come? Everyone who is thirsty, come and drink. Uh, there, you may be here today, and you come to church every week. You're here every week. You're involved in ministry and you're giving up your time here and you're serving here and all of this kind of stuff, but you can't remember the last time God flooded your soul with His divine presence in such a way that nothing else mattered. You've gotten used to dryness. Maybe you're just here and you just wish you had more money. Or you wish you had more influence, or you wish you had more friends, or you just wish you had more whatever. And until you get it, you're going to be unsatisfied. Maybe you're mad. Are there mad Christians around today? <laughs> One too long ago, I asked myself, how come there's so many mad Christians around? I mean, I watch the news sometimes. They have a Christian on there. Why is he so mad? He's got Jesus. It ain't righteous anger either, right? <laughs> so my invitation to you comes from Isaiah 55. I'm, this is a paraphrase of the first few verses of Isaiah 55. Listen to it. The Lord is saying, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet. Listen! Everyone who thirsts, Everyone, come to my living waters and you who have no physical money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy spiritual wine and spiritual milk without money, without cost. This is God saying, why do you spend your resources for what is not real nourishment? For what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good and delight yourself in my abundance. Listen. He says it four times in the passage. Listen. And come to me. Listen. So you can live. So you can live. 
I want you to bow your heads with me. And uh, often one of the things that I encounter, as before I pray, I want to ask you this question. Often one of the things I encounter is that people say, you know, uh, God can be calling, and, uh, but He's not calling me because of what I've done and where I've been and who I've offended and the sins I've committed. And I'm here to tell you that is a lie. God loves you. God loves you. He is calling to you. Come. See, that's the beauty of grace. None of us deserve it, and yet it's freely given to everyone who believes, everyone who just says, Lord, I don't know what you can do with me. I don't know, but I need nourishment for my soul. I say, come, come. Father, in these closing moments, I just pray that you would... uh, you would hear the cry of the hungry. The cry of the thirsty here today that says, yes, I want, I want to drink from this well that is life-giving and life-sustaining and uh, that makes everything else pale. I want to know the realness of the presence and life of Jesus in me. Father, I pray for those that are yet to come to, their, to, to faith in you. And they, this may be that moment where they say, Father, I'm coming. I want to drink from your fountain. Forgive me. Welcome me into your home and your kingdom and your body. And you will do that. You will forgive every sin. You will fully accept them. You will have mercy and pour out your grace over them. Father, I pray for those who relate to the word dryness and they just feel as though it's been so long since there's been this intimate connection with you. They've hidden behind ministry or they've hidden behind uh, activity and uh, try not to be alone with you too much. Oh, I pray, Father, that in these moments, these moments of worship and prayer, that they would come to you and drink from the fountain. Father, you are worthy. You are sufficient. You are the fullness. And we sing of your praise in Christ's name. Amen.